Enterprising in my surroundings I'm finding the quietest estates these days Just representation of storm brewing Amazed that the focus remains The vocal focal point of my change Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast I'm your host, Matt Chittiman This is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there Who are working hard to get better While balancing running with the rest of their lives I'm going to make this intro Short. I'm actually recording this down at Universal Studios. My family and I are taking a vacation that we haven't done in a very, very long time. Hanging up Universal and Disney, which is great. Not great for recording intros and outros. I'll say that. I am literally huddled underneath a comforter in the bed next to a pool with blaring music. It's um, a lot of fun. Not ideal for working, but I'll take that trade any day of the week. So let's just get into it. This podcast is with Tim McCone. Tim is an awesome guy, a guy who used to coach in um, at Roger Williams University as when he was a college basketball player and I was a college basketball coach. Tim is now an esteemed member of the sports media out of Boston. He just really found a niche in sports radio, and he also does some TV work as well. And I am his running coach. And this uh, short miniseries that we're doing is in preparation for the Chicago Marathon, which Tim will be running this fall. So we're going to do a little mini-series, Getting Ready for Chicago with Tim McCone. Tim is a uh, a really good athlete. With that said, he has had his own challenges, kind of in and out of athletics, especially after college, and kind of finding a groove that works for him. And as you'll hear... He has a very challenging job from a scheduling perspective. It's a people want to work in sports, no question about it. But Tim's job is very demanding, and finding time to train and and doing it sometimes often spontaneously can be tricky. And at the same time, trying to live up to your potential. And that's something that Tim and I have talked a lot about over the years of trying to maximize his potential, and that's something that is exciting but daunting and trying to go after that while still being very passionate and driven about your job can be a challenging thing to balance and we talk about all those things in this episode and we will continue to talk about them three or four more times heading into the Chicago Marathon. So let's get into it with Tim McCone. All right, we are here with someone I've known for a very long time, Tim McCone. Tim, welcome to the show. Ah, Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm getting you fresh off a radio spot, right? So you're going from one audio content to another audio content. You're just you're just rocking it. And we're going to be doing an intro episode of sorts and talk about what's going on as well. People who just heard my intro will already know that. But let's dive into, before we talk about your athletic history and, and some of the more uh, recent past running-related history, tell people what you do for a job. Yeah, so I uh, graduated from Roger Williams uh, back in 2010, a long time ago now, and uh, went into the communications field. And so my first job uh, at a school was actually doing intermission reports for uh, the AHL team in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is where I grew up. Uh, and then from there, I we got super tell lucky. That's the, see, see you're, you know all this stuff already, but we tell you that's the American Hockey League. So American this is, uh, Hockey League, yeah. There we go. Yeah. We, we got to break down the, uh, the, the acronyms for the people. No, you're right. So it was a minor league hockey team in Worcester, and I was doing intermission reports and some post-game stuff. And then from there, I got super lucky and got a job at a TV station in Worcester outside of that, and then eventually moved on to NBC in Providence. I spent five years there, and while I was there, I also started doing some radio at a sports talk radio station in Boston. And from there, I've been lucky enough to kind of transition uh, over there permanently, which has been uh, which has been a dream come true. I get to talk about sports uh, for a living. My athletic career did not go as I had hoped, 
Um, I'm much better talking about other people's athletic achievements than my own. So, uh, so well, you're going to have to get used good. to doing that, Tim, because that's exactly <laughs> what we're going to be doing here on this show. Um, did you always know that you wanted a job in sports? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, always loved it. Always was passionate about it. Uh, thought about coaching for a long time because I was also an education major as well. So thought that might have been one of the routes I was going to take. Uh, but ultimately, I uh, got lucky enough to get a job out of high school, uh, excuse me, out of college uh, right away. And from there, it's just kind of, uh, it's taken off ever since. And, and I've loved every minute of it. See, people who hear what you're doing now, I know have like this immediate envy, right? Anyone who loves sports, like I get paid to talk about sports. This is great. How do I get your job? A lot of people don't know. First of all, there's a lot of luck that can, 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 that, can that needs to happen in these circumstances, especially when you're talking about being in an established brand like a radio or a TV show, as opposed to like how like this you know, popped off. Rambling Runner was just kind of like a series of crazy events. With that said, talk to people about the the timing and the time required in these jobs, because this is something that gets lost on people. They just don't know that basically, you know, you work crazy hours and especially these early jobs for little to no money. Uh, yeah, little to no money is a uh, understatement. By that, it's it's, it's just no money. Yeah, <laughs> you uh, lost you lost money yeah. commuting. <laughs> exactly. I think my first uh, radio job, I was making like eight seventy five an hour or something like that. And then, uh, you know, it's kind of progressed from there. But you're absolutely right. I think you know, no one's gonna feel bad for you that you're you're covering a Patriots game. Um, but what people don't understand is that my schedule is not a normal like a normal nine to five Monday through Friday schedule. Uh, I think a lot of people take that for granted because there's just a lot of things, whether that's meeting up with friends, family, holidays uh, that I'm just not able to do in this job. So, you know, whether it's, you know, having to work four to midnight on Christmas, whether that's working Christmas Eve, uh, missing out again on, on, you know, some weekend stuff with friends and family that just kind of comes with it. So that was kind of the one difference and the one drawback. Uh, to this job than what a normal job is, is like you said, you're just working really weird hours. You know, a lot of games are played at night. So you're working a lot of nights. Uh, you're not around uh, during the week. And then your off days are going to be something like a Monday, Tuesday, uh, rather than a Saturday, Sunday, because usually, especially during football season, Saturday and Sunday are jammed from start to finish. You're just you're you're uh, you're hitting the ground running. And that's pretty much your whole day. And how much just spontaneity comes into this in terms of needing to pick up shifts or something has dropped off or there's there's movement in the calendar. How certain is your schedule from week to week or even day to day for that matter? It's a great question, right? Because my schedule really does fluctuate from week to week. I don't have a set schedule. So, you know, I might be off Monday, Tuesday this week. And then next week, you know, there's a, a big golf tournament in the area. And suddenly, you know, now uh, my off days are going to be you know, Thursday, Friday or something like that. And so, yeah, it changes uh, constantly. That's one of the things I love about it because I, I could not picture myself at a regular desk job just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, but yeah, there's no no question about it. There's no, uh, there's no real routine that you kind of settle into this job. Everything kind of changes on a dime. And like you said too, breaking news, all of a sudden Tom Brady decides that he's going to retire on Saturday. You're now working for four hours on Saturday. And then four weeks later when he unretires, you're back at it that Sunday. So yeah, it changes up pretty quickly. And talk to me about the difference between working being like being on air versus working like, hey, you obviously can't just go on air unprepared. So what is the pre, basically the, the pre-radio, pre-going live um, period look like? And in addition to that, just general 
gathering of sports information, right? Just generally, generally like staying on top of not only the local teams, but also the national scene. So you can put everything into context. And you also never know what your next job is going to be. But even if you stay local the rest of your life, you have to be able to put these things into context, whether it's a free agent coming to town or saying, hey, the Celtics are doing X, Y, Z. And how does that relate to how the Pacers are doing or, th- or things like that? So while we have talked so far about like being like working as in you are now filming live or recording live in a studio that obviously does not encapsulate everything that you're up to. No, it's a great question too. And and people always ask me, I've been lucky enough to do TV and radio and they're two totally different things because if you're a sports anchor and an affiliate in a city, you're usually getting between three and four minutes a night and that's it. So you're doing highlights and it's pretty surface level, right? You're watching the games, you're recording it, you're going back and you're saying, all right, in the top of the second inning, J.D. Martinez hit a home run. The Red Sox go on to win it three to one. And that's pretty much it. When you're doing and you're radio, doing most of the stuff, like just like cutting the tape that actually is shown on people's TV. Right. So you don't necessarily need to be an expert in it. You can kind of get away with, again, it's pretty surface level information because it's not necessarily geared towards a sports junkie. It's more geared towards a broader audience. So not only does that sports junkie get his highlights, but the 85 year old grandma who's also watching the 11 o'clock news kind of understands what you're doing as well. So it's, again, it's for a broader audience. When you're doing sports talk radio, man, you need to be prepared. And I would say 95% of that job is just preparation, reading everything you possibly can going into it, having show notes, having a structured show in terms of, all right, for the first 15 minute block that we're on the air, we're going to talk about X, Y, and Z, and then we're going to take calls going forward. And so You need to be able to fill, first of all, 15 minutes, which I'm sure you know is a lot harder than what people realize when you're talking to yourself, especially for 15 minutes. It can get pretty lonely pretty quickly. I'm about to record a solo (laughs) episode tomorrow that's going to go about 45 minutes. So I'm like in the middle of preparing for it right now. So yeah, I'm definitely aware. (laughs) And so not only that, but we're also taking live calls. And I can tell you this right now, there is no, there is nothing anybody loves more than a sports caller to a uh, sports talk radio station calling up and saying, hey, you were wrong about this. It's actually this. So you got to be prepared. You have to know what you're talking about. You have to be on top of everything. And you can't really fake your way through it. And again, that just comes down to preparation and knowing kind of where you're going with the show. So, you know, if you're on a bigger show, like today I was on a, from 2 to 6 uh, on 98.5 The Sports Hub. So we were on for four hours. And we just had a, uh, a an email chain that started at 6 in the morning. And it was... Hey, I saw this article. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. And it's free flowing. There's probably about 120 emails throughout the day. And by 1.30, we have a four-hour rundown set. And so 2 o'clock, it looks like you're turning on the mics and you're just casually talking. Couldn't be further from the truth. Everything is, is etched out from start to finish. And it starts usually eight hours before you even get on the air. All right. I'm glad we set that context because we're going to be talking about scheduling and fitting in runs and making sure that we make the most of our time. So it's good to know and everyone's aware what exactly your time actually means. So let's go back in time a little bit here. I got to know you talk about email score, email correspondence when you were emailing me when I was assistant basketball coach at Roger Williams University and you were a high school student up in Worcester, Massachusetts, looking to play college basketball uh, like we already talked about. And we had some, some, some fun correspondence there. And you came down to Roger Williams and, and played on the team uh, that I was coaching. I wasn't there all four years. I then transitioned into higher ed fundraising while you were a student at Roger Williams. However, Let's just talk about that moment in time and about how you said you always want to have a position in sports 
So what about playing college basketball and continuing your athletic journey was important for you as opposed to just saying, hey, I'm going to go into becoming like, a, you know, going into journalism or maybe being like a manager like Providence College while also studying other things. What about participating in the sport was so important for you? I was just super passionate about it from the jump. And really, ever since growing up, I loved basketball. And that was always a dream for me. Um, and so it was never really an option not to play. Uh, I didn't really look at any other schools than like Division three schools in New England because that was, you know, Jim Calhoun wasn't exactly uh, interested at the time uh, in terms of a... Uh, he wasn't would, coaching at St. Joe's yet. Yeah, no. I would describe my game as a, uh, a 5'11 shoot first point guard that didn't have a left hand and couldn't shoot. That's probably the way I would describe my game. So <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't necessarily interested uh, in what I was bringing to the table. But no, I, I, I always wanted to play and uh, I got lucky enough, like you said, uh, Met you in in high school and went to Roger Williams and loved every second of it. And then, you know, eventually realized, too, that even at the college level, wasn't exactly going to excel there. And that kind of helped me transition to where I am now, because, you know, coming out of my sophomore year, uh, realized, yeah, not 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 cut out for it. Right. So it was uh, it was fine. And that point transitioned to doing a bunch of internships and that kind of paved the way for for where I am now. Yeah, and the vast majority of college athletes, especially the D3 level, kind of make a choice after that sophomore year of like, all right, do I see a path here from an athletic perspective? And if not, then maybe, you know, maybe use my time in a different way because college athletics does take a lot of time. So if, if it's not going to work out to the way you want it to, then it, is, it does make sense to transition at that point. You talked in jest, a little bit of jest, a little bit about your shortcomings as a basketball player. Um, what were some of your, what would you describe as some of your uh, positives as an athlete, even going back then? Uh, look, I think I just determination. I just really wanted to be a part of that team. And I knew that I wasn't going to be the most talented guy on that team. No question about it, but I was willing to do whatever it took. And, you know, I think I kind of bought in not only to what you guys on the coaching staff were doing, but also, you know, some of the senior leaders, junior leaders following those guys. And I think also having good relationships uh, with everyone on the team too. You know, when you're not the most talented guy, uh, you better bring something else to the table. So, uh, I think I brought a kind of a positive attitude and someone that was going to be there, you know, kind of day in and day out. And that's, that's, again, that's what I try to do. Again, didn't exactly excel. I, I always go back to the first time I lifted with some of the team. I, I came from a small high school where, where I got to play a lot early on. So didn't lift as much as some of the other guys did. We were warming up with the bench. Uh, everyone else, uh, the bar came back up. For me, it didn't. So that was uh, that was the first sign that I probably had some some catching up to do. But no, I loved uh, loved my teammates, and I think that was kind of the biggest thing. How about from a conditioning perspective? This is one thing that's universal for, for all college athletes, no matter what sport they play, not only in-season conditioning, but out-of-season conditioning. Obviously, we can draw parallels uh, from that to what we're doing now. But how did you approach that? How do you feel like you did in those situations and the like? Uh, no, the freshman year was an eye-opener, right? Because like you said, too, it's not only you know in-season, but leading up to it as well. Playing pickup with all those guys. Uh, was great, but there needed to be some extra running in between too, because uh, it was just a whole other level uh, than the high school game uh, as well. I was lucky enough. You know, it's funny. I love running now and I know we're going to get into it. Uh, in high school, my uh, my basketball coach had me run cross country just to stay in shape in the fall. And I couldn't have hated it more. Wanted no part of it at all. Now I can't, I can't, I can't get enough of it now. But at the time I was like, just get me to basketball season as quickly as possible. So were you decent um, at it? I was pretty good. Yeah, I was pretty good. Uh, but um, no, basketball was certainly a passion. And, um, 
you know, I think the conditioning part, like you said, once you get to the college level too, it's a, it's a whole, it's a whole other animal because everyone is athletic at that point and everyone is really good at basketball. Um, and so you can't really just kind of rely on your, your natural gifts at that point. All right. So after age 20 or so, when college basketball was no longer in the offing and you basically had moved to more academic and then later on, a couple years later, more professional pursuits, um, where did athletics find its way in your life beyond just consuming it and talking about it? Uh, for me, it really started out. I kind of fell in love uh, with the gym and working out and lifting weights. And that was kind of something that I really took off, I would say, from 20 to 24 was something that I was really passionate about. And so did that for a little bit, but uh, ultimately kind of transitioned uh, into running. And I'll tell you what, I just, there, there's a number of reasons why I love it. And I know we'll get into it, but it was just a way to kind of continue to fuel that competitive nature. And let's talk about I it think, now. Yeah. Let's just dive in. I mean, that, that was it for me. Like it's a way to compete uh, and you're not competing against anyone. It's just kind of a day in and day out competitive nature where you get to kind of go up against yourself and whether that's testing your limits um, racing against the clock, you know, going, doing races, but just, I think on a day in and out basis, it, it kind of fuels that, uh, which I think anyone that competes in high school or college, uh, you have to some extent. And I think this is a really cool kind of outlet to kind of still, still feed that desire. And how did you transition into running in terms of understanding, even at a basic level, like how to approach it where all of a sudden you're not like go hard all the time or like in your college, you're playing college athletics, you have this mantra of like, hey, every time I practice, like we're practicing for two hours hard. So if I'm running, I should probably run hard. I mean, this is what this is what my athletic life has been up to this point. So talk to me about some of that early progress or lack of progress in terms of kind of starting to adopt on your own um, some of the uh, some of the uh, the traditions within running, or maybe who knows? Maybe you didn't adopt any. Maybe maybe this is a, a bigger story. <laughs> No, I'm so glad you brought that up because I remember uh, about last year we linked up and you kind of laid out, hey, I know you're training for a marathon coming up. So here's kind of a loose outline. And we were going back and forth and you said, all right, you know, so on some of these easy days, you want to run at an easy pace. And to your point, too, I just came from a world where it was like, all right, you're just going to go as hard as you possibly can. So I'm sitting there going, this guy just told me to run 830 miles. Watch this. I'm going to go do 645 miles for five miles and then show you. And you're going to be pumped. You're like, easy, big fella. That's not the way that this works. So that's kind of that's kind of one of the toughest transitions is realizing, too, that, you know, you're putting in all of this work, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going all out. It's something I still struggle with uh, right now, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, but, yeah, the whole easy pace concept and kind of logging those miles um, has been different because when, again, you know, I first really started getting into running. I had no, I just ran as, I, I walked out the door and I said, all right, I'm going to run five miles today. And I ran, ran it as fast as I could. And that was pretty much it. And I didn't have anything else going on it. And that's kind of the way that I was building uh, my base. And, uh, you know, I, I think now with a little more information, uh, I, I look at it and everything you could possibly do wrong. So as a runner, I was checking every single one of those boxes the way I first started. So, so yeah, some work to do for sure still. And I'll say this, and this is, this can be a blessing and a curse on occasions that you are anyone who has the pleasure of looking at your, your running calendar. It doesn't take much time to realize like you are gifted with an incredible aerobic engine. So it's very clear that even doing 
basically any kind of running, as long as you didn't hurt yourself, was going to reap benefits. So especially early on in the process, I can see how even running the way you just described, which is not advisable, <laughs> still would have you know caused you know, a base level of improvement where you'd be like, well, I'm doing well in these 5Ks. I'm doing well in these half marathons. Like when we when we first started together, um, this was like oh, 10 days before a, um, a New England half marathon down here in Bristol. You ran 137. You ran really well. It was a tough course. And like, that's a fantastic time off of like less than ideal training to say the least. So it's, it would be easy for anyone to look at that and be like, well, it's working for me. Why change it? So kudos to you for being like, all right, let's try to adopt some of these methods. But it's like, it's a curse because you can be like, well, why am I going to change it? Like I, I'm running pretty well, man. Let's, let's kind of keep this train moving. Um, so when did running a marathon enter your consciousness, consciousness as not only something that you cover here in the Boston area, but something that you really wanted to do? Well, look, it's always been a bucket list thing for me. I grew up in New England and every year I'm watching the Boston Marathon, you know, with my family. And so, you know, from the start, that's kind of always been something where I said I would love to to kind of participate in that. And uh, so, yeah, I signed up for Chicago last year uh, and, and loved training for it. And and then, you know, during that training too, just kind of got the bug and really wanted to to kind of build on it as well, because that did not go as well as I, I had hoped. Um, and a lot of that, I think, again, was just, classic mistakes that we've, you know, we were kind of talking about, whether that's training too hard and not going necessarily uh, about it the right way. Um, but I think kind of building on that uh, moving forward is going to be beneficial. And then also, you know, the other thing that's weird is, you know, when I first started, I loved competing against that clock, right? So, you know, like I mentioned, all right, I'm going to try to run five miles and run it at a 645 pace. And that was kind of the goal. And if I did it, that that felt great. And now it's more just kind of the daily grind of it, if that makes sense, it is kind of fuels that competitive nature as well, where it's just kind of stacking individual workouts as well is kind of beneficial. And knowing that just because you're not dog tired at the end of your workout doesn't mean that that didn't necessarily lead to or was going to lead to, to bigger success down the road. Yeah. And this is one of the, the benefits, if you'd call it that, of growing a little bit older is like, you just can't do that anymore. Like, yeah. it's just not even a choice. So, which is a benefit because then you don't try to do that on every, <laughs> on every single run um, because for, it's just no longer an option, right? Especially if you're a runner. Maybe if you're a cyclist and there's just a non-impact sport, um, then yeah, you can get away with it. But that's certainly going to be the case here. So, you're signed up for Chicago 2022, which is really exciting. We've got three months before that race kicks off. However, you ran Chicago 2021. So, tell people about how that race went for you just uh, you know and we'll talk about the training of it later um we won't spend much time on it your training overall went really well in the three months leading up to it but race day did not go the way you would hope so just just walk us through chicago 2021 yeah look and i think a lot of it came down to kind of my approach on race day itself and we had kind of had a couple conversations leading up to it because um, you know, like you said, I thought training went really well leading up to it for sure. And coming off that half marathon, uh, that gave me a ton of confidence going into Chicago as well. And then also, you know, some of my longer runs leading up to it, uh, I thought I, I, I nailed, uh, so I was feeling good. And then about four days out, five days out, I started looking at the forecast for Chicago and it was, it was going to be hot and I do not, <laughs> I do not excel as an Irish kid from Massachusetts, the heat is not my friend. Uh, no question about that. And it wasn't in Chicago. But it's one of those things, too, where, look, I'm competitive. I had set a goal for a time. And so, look, I'm going to run this one marathon. So I'm just going to 
I'm going to go for it and I'm not going to adjust probably the way that I should have, which is, hey, that's great, but here's the reality of the situation. Like, you know, the, the conditions are not going to allow you to do that. And so I uh, went out fast. Uh, and then I would say about mile 16 or 17, it was not, it was not pretty. So, so look, missed my, missed my goal time. I think I ended up finishing, I think it was 417 or 419. Yeah, I had, uh, I had it was 416 right before yeah, the call. Which was, which was well off what I wanted to do. Um, yeah, I was from happy. From perspective, you were, we were, we were talking about if the, you know, we're two weeks out before the forecast, we were looking at um, probably, probably around a 315 pace close to 315 was kind of where your training was, but you were first time marathoner without a ton of miles in you. So we kind of erred on the side of caution. Like, all right, we're probably thinking more 320. And then as race day got closer, we're like, okay, we have to really kind of dial this dial this back. Um, I don't know if people remember, this was a long time ago, but there was carnage on the Chicago <laughs> race course that day. Um, a lot of people were suffering. We had uh, Tia Stone was on the podcast talking about how think she got sixth master's woman in that race and she basically like ran easy plus pace for 20 miles and then kicked it in the 10k and like she crushed it so she's like you know she ended up running i think 302 301 but like her last 10k was like was her best 10k and it was like it was it was a, a master class in execution and it's just one of those races like chicago gets hot this that was not the first year and, and uh it, you definitely have to be wary I'll tell you what, too. I remember I landed in Chicago and within, I was still on the plane and you called me and you go, hey, I'm looking at this forecast. And so I know that we talked about that 315, but we should probably dial it back a little bit. And I was like, all right, yeah, sure. And then three miles into the marathon, I was like, no, we're going. I feel great. We're going for it. And then that, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was a bad decision. That was a bad decision on my part. It's like that so. movie, you know, where the guy like has like the, the neck tattoo. He opens up his, his collar and says, no regrets. Yeah, it was like that. Exactly. It was like exactly. that. Move. Exactly. Um, well, hey, but now we live and learn, right? So yeah. we're we're going back. So Chicago didn't go the way you'd hoped, but the training, the three months training, went into it, that you went into it, did go as you'd hoped. Now, over the last six months or so, we've had some ebbs and flows. You've had a couple minor injuries and just crazy work schedules where running wasn't the priority. So I think ultimately, over the last six months or so, you've been consistently in the mid thirties. From a training perspective, I think that's been the median amount uh, with long run being roughly around 10 miles on the weekends. Um, not quite maybe what we had hoped, but also not nothing. So definitely a solid base and, and you're a talented guy. So it's something that we can definitely work up from. But before we talk about what's next, why Chicago again? Uh, look, again, uh, like we talked about, I think there's still that competitive fire. So I just want to be able to check it off and, and, and walk away feeling good about the performance I had because, uh, again, I love the race itself. It was, it was unbelievable. Uh, it was a great environment, really cool. Um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to try to knock that out again and kind of get that under my belt and, and run it back because I, I definitely know I'm capable of doing a lot better than what I did, uh, last year. That's for sure. So. Let's talk about right now. You've had a couple lingering injuries or small little things pop up. So give us just a two minute, like how th how your body has felt over the last month and how it's feeling now. Yeah, body right now is feeling great. Like you mentioned, I've had some lingering stuff. I had uh, a back issue. I had uh, some oral surgery a, a few months ago too, which also doesn't go well with my job uh, <laughs> either. Uh, so your co-host disagrees. Yeah. Your co-host <laughs> strongly disagree yeah. with that assessment. Yeah, you're probably you're, you're probably <laughs> right about that. So no, I uh, it, look, it, it hasn't necessarily like you said. Uh, there's been kind of some pauses here. Um, you know, over the last 
couple of weeks, I think it, it started to really uh, kind of ramp up and just kind of feeling uh, a little bit closer to where I was um, closer to the marathon, but still some some work to do. And I think uh, a decent base here leading up to the three months uh, moving forward, but not 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 anywhere where I want to be uh, just yet. But I think uh, feeling good enough to know now that we can start to really rip off and, and stack some some weeks together here moving forward. Yeah, definitely. All right. So three months until race day, which is a lot of time. So we're talking 14 weeks, roughly, um, including the taper. But for for my athletes, basically, I view the taper as really just like a week long, about a week and a half long taper, right? For me, it's your last workout is 10 days out from the marathon. So again, the Wednesday, the week before the week of the race, that was really, really poorly said. Um, and then the weekend before the race, so one week out, we're still going to do a normal-ish long run. So we'll do 10 to 12 miles, but it will be easy, 100% in the aerobic zone, not going anywhere near, you know, even marathon pace. It's just to just keep just to keep it going, and you're not going to – there won't be any um, deleterious effects from that. You're not going to have to be recovering from it because you'll just be so used to running for an hour and a half or so that this really won't matter all that much. So we're really talking about a 10-day or really a week-long uh, true taper where it's a really strong decrease from the previous weeks. Um, moving forward, I think for the most people, that really does work pretty well. Um, now – so we're talking really about 12 weeks of solid training minus the taper a week and a half or so. So I'm thinking about this really as like two six-week blocks, okay? So where you are right now, we just described roughly in the mid-30s. Um, now you're feeling healthy, which is great. You've been consistently running for over a year now. So you're in a great spot to just kind of build from that uh, so we don't have to Go by like the oftentimes you see these rules of like don't increase mileage by 10% by more than 10% in a week. Um, why 10 10%? 10% is just a round number. That's why people chose it. <laughs> it just sounds good. Um, you know, and I think for you, that does make that think someone in that situation, it does make sense, especially if you're say you're at 40, then it's like 40, then to 44, then to 48, and then to 53, and things like that. And that's roughly probably what we're going to be doing. Um, we're talking about bigger numbers, then it gets a little wackier. Um, but it gets harder when it's your small numbers, I should say. If you're running 22, say 20 miles a week, you probably don't have to go up by two miles per week, especially depending on how fast you go. Now, minus that complete regression in the conversation, let's talk about those two six-week blocks. So the first six weeks, I think we really have to focus on building you back up into the high 40s, low 50s from a mileage perspective. And, can, and the only way to really do that is to be consistently running five to six days a week. Okay? So that's going to be the key thing. And I know something that you have um, – that you struggled with in the past is really maintaining that week to week consistency in terms of really hitting that, that five to six day um, limit, usually around four or five days is usually how it's kind of worked out. Um, so hitting that is going to be really important over the next six weeks because we want to be in the high fifties from a mileage perspective. I know your body can handle it, right? You've never had overuse injuries and things like that. Your body's handled the training just fine. You've had just like weird injuries pop up in your life, but not running related injuries, which is great. Um, and in addition to that, get to as quickly as we can safely get to the two hour runs, long runs, you know, within your schedule. Okay. And I think a key part of this, and we're going to, I'm going to take some, an element from one of my other athletes, Hillary Geipel, who actually just run her, her she just won her ninth 5K in a row. Lily, great job. Shout out to you. Um, 
And what she does, she works at a veterinary clinic. So her hours every week are different. So she'll put in, so we use VDOT as a scheduling system here. Um, so she'll just write like an athlete note in the VDOT calendar as soon as she knows what her schedule is. Sometimes it's three weeks in advance. Sometimes it's like two days in advance of a certain week. Hey, like I, I can do my long runs on these days. Or like these are the days where I can do my long runs and workouts. And, or like this other day, this is probably gonna have to be an off day for me. So it doesn't have to be a static schedule of like, hey, off days or Mondays. Wednesdays are workouts, Saturdays are long runs, right? If that works for somebody, great. If it doesn't work for other people, that's totally fine too. So I don't want you to feel like you're buttonholed into a certain schedule um, because that frankly is just not the case. And we, we there's plenty of wiggle room here to make that manageable. Um, is that something that you think you can do in terms of updating the schedule to make sure that we can really align this so you don't feel like you're, you know, really lighting the candle, burning the candle at, at, uh, at both ends? Yeah, no, I think that's the biggest thing, right, is making sure that I have kind of the, the opportunity to do it. And like you said, it's it's just about trying to, to log those miles on a week-to-week basis. And so whatever my schedule kind of allows that that long run, I think I need to kind of stay on top of just that scheduling, especially over these next six weeks when we start to kind of ramp up the mileage as well. Uh, because like you said, so Monday, for instance, like next week, I might be able to do you know, 12 miles or something like that. And then that following Monday, I might be jammed from 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. And then I got a 12 mile run and it's like, uh, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. So I think more of that is just kind of like you said, laying it out and making sure that I kind of stay on top of of that schedule and letting you kind of know that way we can kind of plan this out accordingly as well. Right. And there's going to be some days where it's just not going to be, some days are going to be tough, right? And yeah. that's, that's the other thing too, is that even on those tough days, making it work anyway. Yeah, just log um, in. Yeah. yeah, just just got to get it done, and you're going to be happier if you do it. And we try to try to make as much allowances as we can. But there's just going to be some of those days or some of those weeks where it's going to be like, you know what, this sucks in terms of scheduling. But I'm going to make it work anyway because the regret always feels worse than the not running felt good in the moment. I'll tell you what, too. Some of my best runs are on those days when I'm like, I don't want to go out there right now at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're like two miles in, you're like, I feel phenomenal right now. And then, yeah, so uh, you're right about that. No, no question. All right. So over the last six months, you've actually done a really good job of continuing to do speed work. So I think that from a speed perspective, we're in a pretty good spot. Okay. So it's not like we haven't done that for a while. So we'll probably continue to work on the shorter intervals, um, the, the two, the one, two, three, four minute intervals, uh, really in the one to three minute range, continuing to work on speed development in this six month period and sorry, this six week period, while we're also really trying to extend the the time on feet and the mileage uh, as much as we possibly can. Okay, so that's going to mean basically like almost like long run double days as we really move in like a week, a month out from where we are now in terms of like, all right, we're talking about, you know, doing 14 to 16 on 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 you know say it's a friday and on the saturday doing 10 right so building the the tolerance of being on our feet for that long now you mentioned before heat has not been your friend okay and that's not just a race day because it's gonna be hotter this week than it'll probably be in chicago so this is another thing that we want to make sure that we're um geared in on now Certain people just aren't as good in the heat. I'm one of those people. I melt in the sun and it sucks. My wife's like, is a beach bum. She wants to be at the beach all day. I melt. Like if I'm in the sun all day, even if I'm just sitting there, yeah. I'm exhausted. Yeah. Exhausted. It's, I, it's, it's the opposite. I'm like the opposite of a solar panel. 
Instead of like <laughs> the sun giving me energy, the sun is like a vampire, like ripping the energy out of my body. Um, so from a running perspective, this is important to know. So I really, really strongly advise all my runners, but especially runners like you and I, who are really susceptible to the sun and the heat in ways that can make running just terrible in certain <laughs> conditions, is, is to treat every run, even an easy run like a progression. Now, when people hear progression run, they think easy and then go faster as I go, which is 100% the definition. But I want you to view these easy runs as a little bit different. Not that you're going to be speeding up the whole time. It's more of holding back in the beginning. Okay. So really easing into your run, especially if you're going to be running earlier in the morning, because as we, the earlier we run or the closer we run to when we wake up, it's harder just to kind of get going early in the run. All right. So the first two miles, no judgments, just you're, if you're shuffling, you're shuffling. It's totally fine. Okay. It, but at the same time, if you want to end your run at easy plus pace, or even kind of hinting at marathon pace of some of those easy runs um, in the last mile or two, that's fine. Right. You're going to see a lot of training where they do that all the time on purpose. So that's um, just getting used to, easing into these runs because we're going to be putting in more and more miles. So we want to make sure that we're not really breaking down from these runs for any reason, whether it's heat related or wear and tear related, because we need to maintain that consistency. So that's going to be a major part of this. Also a big part is trying to find routes where there's going to be some decent shade cover. So if you can get in the shade on certain routes, even if it means like being on one side of the road versus the other side of the road, if it means in the morning running more north and south on the eastern side of the roads, so you get the, the kind of like the, the building slash tree shade over on the, your side of the sidewalk. A lot of that stuff can play a big role in making those runs just a little bit more comfortable and suitable. No, and look, it's one of the things I still struggle with. I remember going out for really, it was the, the first really nice day here uh, in Massachusetts where I live, and it was uh, Memorial Day, actually. And that was a, a 10-mile run. And uh, I was talking to you afterwards, and I went out the first two miles, and it was it was nice out. I had a new playlist. I felt great. First two miles, I'm like, I'm going to qualify for Boston. This is unbelievable. By mile nine, the people driving by me are like, should we like check on this guy? Like, what's the, what's the, what's, what's going on over there? So yeah, no, it's something that I still need to kind of, to reel in. Like you said, like just those first two miles, um, you know, not taking that uh, for granted that you're going to feel that way, uh, especially in the sun. And the other thing, too, is hydration and salt consumption. So this is a big one, especially for heavy sweaters, especially as we get into the warmer conditions. OK, so from a hydration perspective, if you're running over an hour, especially as you get closer to like the hour and a half, like you got to have at least one bottle. At least if you're hitting two hours, it has to be two bottles. If that means circling back, you have one at the end of your driveway, then do that. All right. It, it, that has to happen, um, not only because it's going to make, you know, you're, you'll hit the intent of the workout better, it, but it's also going to you know make sure that you don't you know, completely fall apart and make the next day on, you know, it's something that you're going to regret doing. Also, just general recovery. And this is the big thing with hydration and eating during the run is that if you're doing those things, it really aids not only in the execution of the activity, but greatly enhances the recovery as well. Okay. So you got to get whatever gels work for you. I know goo has always worked for me, so I've never differed from it. Some people, it doesn't work for them. Um, so make sure you have the goos for the, the workouts and for, especially for the long runs and making sure that you not only have water, but some sort of additive to it 
from um, from a salt perspective. So for a lot of people, um, they can I I simply just take the the freaking Gatorade's big powder bucket. So I just really? scoop it in. And put, yeah. It's like it's the best deal in town. You go to Dick's Sporting yeah. Goods, you get it, it lasts you forever. Um, that's a good one. Noon, a lot of people like, like noon. Uh, if someone's a really, really heavy sweater, uh, so someone like if, say, you came back from an hour-long run in the sun and you are just covered in salt crystals, right? If someone's like that, they might want to engage in something a little bit more hardcore. There's Element, which is like it's an app. So it's not an app. It's a startup. So it means it's, it's spelled weird. So it's L-M-N-T. There's no no vowels, just Element. Uh, Scratch Labs also is, is very, very high in salt content. Um, and or just say electrolyte content, content, but it really is just salt. Um, so – all of those are going to help not only because you're sweating out salt, but also even if you're not, the salt in the beverage helps with absorption of the water itself. So even if you're not a heavy sweater, it does help with the absorption. Again, it doesn't mean you uh, want to just take in as much as you possibly can because that's not great either. But I would err on the side of you know adding it whenever possible, especially in these conditions. And also because you want to get used to it for race day. So it's not just, again, about the about nailing these workouts as much as possible, but if, say, Chicago is going to be just like it was last time, you want to be able to go into and be like, hey, this is what worked for me, right? And part of that might may be that there might be days where it doesn't work, so we have to alter the plan or try something new. Better it happens in training than it happens on race day, right? And there's even pros that can suffer on race day. Uh, we saw the Western states. We, we saw pro runners. Again, the 100-mile distance is a completely different beast, especially when it's 90 degrees out. Um, but this is something that befalls endurance athletes of every stripe. So making sure that we are approaching it in training is just as important as making sure that we're hitting certain paces and taking rest days on the certain in a certain week. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things too for me moving forward is not only that, but also, you know, not leading up to it, but just hydration throughout the day uh, and trying to stay on top of that. And then nutritionally as well. It's, it's funny, you know, you can really feel it. And unlike any other sports, I, I, honestly, when you are not hydrated the way you're supposed to, or when you didn't fuel even the day before or two days before the way that you should, you can absolutely feel that on a long run. So that's another thing that I, I really want to try to stay on top of here. Uh, throughout training leading up obviously to the marathon as well because uh, there's no doubt if you if you don't kind of stay on, on top of your hydration even leading up to that long run uh, you can feel it for sure and how are you it, what time of day are you anticipating running over the next two months uh, so that's going to kind of vary depending on the schedule so so either try uh, and again trying to battle this heat as, as, as best as I can so it, it's usually either going to be early in the morning or later at night. And that might be going out for like that seven mile run at seven o'clock at night and trying to do that and knock it out from, you know, seven to nine versus trying to run it, you know, at high noon, you know, L- so, luckily in the summer, yeah. that's not too bad. Cause you still got the light out and it's right. not like the winter where it's like dark at four 30. You're like, Oh my <laughs> yeah. God, it's, it's dangerous out here. Um, yeah. for the morning runs, the key is making sure that you're taking in fuel. Okay, so especially if you're going to like trying to time it so you're getting out the door as quickly as you can after you wake up, um, I think just finding something light that you can put in your stomach, even for an easy run, is going to benefit you. Um, So what I advise and what I do oftentimes if I'm waking up really early, um, like I am tomorrow, I have have a 60-mile run tomorrow, and I'm going to try to head out as as early as I possibly can because it's going to be hot tomorrow here in New England. So before I go for my run, I'll have – um, graham crackers and also some peanut butter on them. 
So I'm not cooking anything. It's just super easy. Just pop it in my mouth. As soon as I wake up, I'll wash it down with some coffee. I have like some athletic greens and then I'm out the door and my bottles are done, right? So that way, again, that's not like that substantive, but it's enough, right? So that I'm not going into my run hungry, nor am I going into my run with like a bunch of food flopping around in my belly. So, you know, this is a personal thing, but I think that that sort of thing, so something that is easily digestible, which is, again, different for every for every person, but that's what you want. You want some sort of carbohydrate that's easily digestible um, in your stomach for those early morning runs so that, again, you're setting yourself up for success, but not weighing yourself down at the same time and giving yourself enough of a, a fast-burning fuel that you can still get out pretty quickly after you after you wake up. You know, we talked about kind of finding that gel and finding that kind of, um, you know, the, the hydration in race that kind of allows you and the consistency because, you you know, it worked during those long runs leading up to it and now it's going to work on race day. Do you do the same thing from a nutritional standpoint as well where you've kind of found something that you know is going to work, whether that's the dinner the day before or the night before into, you know, or even, you know, a couple of days out from that long run and that breakfast? Do you kind of try to keep that in line as well? Yeah, for me, I I really don't have a lot of stomach issues with this stuff. So I, I really don't have to play around with it too much. I think for me, the night before the long run, the key thing is not having like a late night snack. Yeah. Because sometimes just from a from a processing perspective, let me just throw some term of art in there. Um, it, won't, it won't set me up for uh, some GI distress during the run. It really doesn't matter what I have for dinner necessarily. But as long as you don't have a late night snack like – so I'm not going to like queso and chips at 11 o'clock at night. That queso is going <laughs> right, to come back to haunt right. me in the morning. Yeah, yeah. As long as I don't do that, I'm going to be fine. Um, if it's a um, if it's a long run where I actually have some time. So like this is a good example. So like my long runs when it's not the summer on Thursdays. So that way I can like take my kids to school and then I go for my long run. So on those days, I have plenty of time to eat whatever breakfast I want. So I found what works for me. So I'll have like half a bagel with something on it, whether it's peanut butter or cream cheese. And I'll have like maybe, um, you know, some yogurt or oftentimes it's like an apple will go with it. So I can have even like even I'll throw an egg on there like dairy doesn't affect me. So um, ultimately, it does give me enough wiggle room. For me, the harder part is finding out what I can have or how much I can have um, after I wake up. In a really early, so they wake up at five and want to get up before six. That's more of a, a tricky situation for me in terms of finding out something that works. No, no, that's, uh, I think that's kind of the biggest thing for me too, is finding that light thing before, you know, that long run, especially in the mornings, like you mentioned. But that's, uh, I think one of the goals, like, like we talked about moving forward, is kind of finding that, that pattern that works both from a nutritional standpoint and also, you know, the gels and staying on top of that stuff as well as not just logging the miles. So excited and, for and it. Yeah. And it doesn't have to always be just food. And this is the other thing is that oftentimes before my workouts, what I'll do is, again, I have like the big, big, like the big powder Gatorade that like athletic trainers have, you know, they dump it into like the big buckets and (laughs) they make the Gatorade for the whole team. Um, Is that I'll have like 16 ounces of like that kind of Gatorade, like 45 minutes before run. And that also sets me up for success. All right. So you have like, obviously there's some glute. So the sugar is going to metabolize into glucose in your system, which is the key to basically anaerobic uh, efforts and even um, fueling aerobic efforts. And then also there's calories in there and there's going to be some salt in there. So um, 
Again, not everything has to come from food. Some of this can also come from drinks, especially if if you've certain things that you'd like to consume or if something just works for your system easier or better. Um, again, not all calories have to be uh, have to be food. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and then also making sure that we're we're taking our gels again every and this is this is the key thing. I think I've in the past I've kind of defaulted to oftentimes what you see like on the the company's website of like, hey, take a gel every 45 minutes or something, which is kind of funny because ultimately they might have been underselling it. Um, for the most part, you know, we don't want to go bankrupt on gels. However, I will say um, <laughs> if you can buy a bulk, something you like, how many gels should you take in a long run? It's easy. As many as you can. Yeah. That's how many gels you should take because you're always going to be in caloric deficit. Okay. So, you're, so that's never going to be a problem. You're never going to be gaining weight on gels. Okay, right. during the course right. of a run. In addition to that, it also is going to help, like I said before, with recovery. So, and and training for race day. Okay, if you're in a situation where you can take three gels an hour, because that's just what you've built up your tolerance to the gels with. Um, again, not every and not a lot of people are going to be in that boat. But if say if someone's able to do that, that is going to be a performance enhancer. Period. End of story. All right. And that's going to be one of the ways where people will get away from, you know, hitting the wall. Hitting the wall isn't merely a, um, you know, my legs are tired. This is like longer than I've run in the past type situation. It's also a caloric and nutrition based feeling for a lot of people. Hitting the wall is, hey, I've run out of glucose and now my body is slowing down or I've run out of electrolytes in my system and now my body is slowing down, right? These are equally, if not more important uh, to the hitting the wall feeling, especially if we're able to keep our heart rate in the aerobic zone. So um, that's just something to keep in mind in terms of there is no glory in two things, in how fast you do your easy runs <laughs> and how few gels you can take on a long run. Like right. if anything, you should view this as Joey Chestnut <laughs> pounding hot dogs, you know, on, on the yeah. 4th of July. Like that's how we should think about taking these, these gels if we can. Well, I, look, that's definitely going to be something I focus on too, because I think the biggest transition for me from, you know, where we started over the last few weeks, especially versus the the training last year, even with these easy runs is, you know, I was running them slower after we talked last year, but I was still trying to hit that, whether it was, you know, 830, something like that pace versus this year. I'm yeah, even more... even at the end, you were, Lee and Chicago, oftentimes you were like at like 805 pace, you know, on these easy runs. It was like, this is like very close to marathon effort. Yeah, <laughs> man, look, I just, you would go out and I would feel good. So I wouldn't run it like all out, but I would just, you know, I, I feel good so I can run it at this pace. So I'm going to. And this year, I'm really trying to dial in more, not necessarily even paying attention to time, but just how I feel. And also, you know, especially like, you know, on my watch now, it's more, I'm not looking at time or mileage. It's just heart rate. And let's see like where we're at. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing moving forward as well. Right. And I think heart rate can be useful. I think it's better if, if it's a way of informing us how our body feels at certain levels. Okay. So not being a slave to our watch for anything, whether it's pace or heart rate. Okay. Also in the summer, you're going to have heart rate drift no matter what. So you might have like, might have the exact way of calibrating your effort level, but your heart rate may start at 142 and end up at 156 over a 10 mile run. And you may not have changed your effort at all. It's just because of the, the heat of the day. And that's just what happens to your heart rate. And that's totally fine. That should not be avoided. That's normal. We don't want to run talking about 168 here. We're still talking, you know, below marathon effort, heart rate levels. 
which in the summer is just going to happen. That's just that's just the way it's cost of doing business. Um, in addition to that, it's a great sign if you can hold your easy runs and you're like, I'm, t- I'm, I'm hitting these normal paces. I'm running in like the mid eights, the high eights, the low nines. And I'm feeling not only is this like, does it feel easy, but I'm also not like, this isn't wearing me down. Okay. If that's the case, that's great. What we'll just do is simply add mileage. Right. Right. Okay. We don't have to say, oh, I'm going to go faster now because I feel great. No, no, no. We want to stay in that zone because we're working the aerobic system in that zone. And that's going to be very, very important. But it does set us up to just work the aerobic system more so that when we want to work different systems, we still can. But by adding mileage, because if you're feeling really good, that's great. Also, you got a job to do. You want to go to your job, like wiped <laughs> out completely after every run. So I think the idea is if you can talk during your run, then you're running easy. If you can talk in paragraphs, okay, great. Keep it up. You know, you can be heart rate aware, but not not completely dialing in all the time. Um, but I think it is helpful for you um, as someone who has run their easy runs too fast on occasion. And then if we're feeling good, we'll just up the mileage where we'll get to the point where we're running for 75, 80 minutes on a normal easy run. And that's just not that big of a deal. And if we can get to that point and couple that with, you know, long runs at two hours plus, then we're going to be in a really good spot for Chicago, uh, all things considered. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I can't wait. I'm excited for the next, uh, the next 12 weeks and, and kind of what's in store and to kind of see the progression here, because I think it's, it's kind of primed here for it to have a, a good rest of the summer and lead up to, uh, to October. I can't wait. All right, Tim, I'll talk to you many times, but yes. I'll talk to you on this podcast in a few weeks. Awesome. Sounds good. Tim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a good friend and always so much fun talking to him. Tim, you are the man, and I am so excited to get this mini-series started and to continue working with you as your coach. Thank you so much for listening, and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.